Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. Today we examine the story of the woman who gave two mites while others gave a lot more. Why was this act so important? Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with the sermon, What's Your Mite? Please join me and stand if you are able as we hear the gospel reading for today from Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only of a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As one person said to me uh, when I read this scripture out loud in a staff meeting, gee, it's scary to think that Jesus was actually watching people put money in the offering. My response was, it's scary to think that he still does that today. (laughs) Don't worry, this won't be a sermon on guilt or encouraging everyone to give more because Jesus is watching you. Um, This is my first sermon of the year, and it's normally my State of the Union or my State of the Church address, a message on what I want us to focus on in 2019. I want to focus on our hearts and God's heart. In our reading, Jesus said that one woman, a widow, put in everything she had in the offering plate. She was completely all in for God. She was completely all in faith. She was fully devoted and committed to the Lord. And she gave to God more than all the others, even though she only gave two coins worth maybe a penny. Now, can you imagine that day, Jesus and the disciples watching people put money into the offering bin, and some put in, you know, bunches of coins, and you hear them clinking and clanging into the box, and others do the same thing and pour in their currency with great sound, ching, chang, chong. (laughs) That's the sound of coins, not Chinese people. If they were Chinese people, you wouldn't even hear a clink. (laughs) I'm Chinese, I can say that. Okay, so imagine there is this waterfall, this continual avalanche of coins going into this box from people, from this giver and that donor, and then comes this woman (coughs) who just puts in just two coins. Tink, tink. And Jesus goes, whoa! He gets all excited and says to the disciples, did you see that right there? That woman, she gave more than anyone else today because she gave all that she had. She sacrificially gave. It's because of this passage where the donor who just gives two coins may be the biggest giver in a church that our church decided to never list the amounts donors give as some nonprofits and churches do. And it's because we don't know who are the biggest sacrificial givers in God's eyes. Now, since we get about 150 new people 
joining every year, uh, I want to say again that I, as your pastor, don't even know how much people give, um, and, and only our bookkeeper knows. Uh, you know how with some nonprofits, you look at their annual reports and at their fundraising events or newsletters, and they list, they list all the donors. And they even have different categories depending on how much you give using some kind of metaphor. So some use, let's say, an animal theme. And if you give like $50,000 or more, you're in the lion category. And if you give 20000 or more, you're in the tiger category. And if you give just 25 bucks, you're in the chihuahua category. <laughs> Maybe they use a floral theme, you know, and they make it really exotic and, you know, uh, magnificent. If you're the top giver, it's the Elima level with Miley intertwined. And if you're in the next highest level, maybe it's the Picake level. And if you give just 10 bucks, you're in the Plumeria level. <laughs> But with Jesus, you'd never know who the top donor is because he's not just looking at the amount. He's looking at the heart and the amount of sacrifice or true devotion to God. So how does one become like this woman who gave everything she had for God in such a way that it impressed and pleased and honored Jesus himself? And even though she only gave two copper coins, in Jesus' eyes, she was actually was in the Elima level. She was in the lioness level. So we learned several things about this passage. The first is this. The more we realize our weakness, the more our intimacy and trust in God can grow. Generosity, sacrificial devotion to God, starts off with the realization that we need God. What is a widow like in first century Israel? In most cases, she's dirt poor. Without a husband or a successful son, she is poor, vulnerable, and weak. It would sound like she would not have much hope or could ever have hope restored. But she knew she had one person in her corner, God. We need to know we are weak without God, but strong in him. We never get really all into Jesus unless we know we are weak without God. Unless we know that any piece of bread or drink we have comes from God and not from our own talent, we will never be close to God. And that's why it's really important to say a prayer of thanksgiving before we eat. Whether it's in a home or in, in a restaurant, we call it say, saying grace, don't we, before we eat. Because it's by grace we have food, not because we made it or deserve it. Many of you who have so-called made it in the world made it because of a God-given opportunity that you didn't create. You were born in a country that gives you immense opportunity. You live in a state that's beautiful with clean water and clean air and clean food and safety. You have free public education. You have great health care. And some of you have had the opportunity to attend private schools or universities you have an abundance of food, plus an environment that helps you succeed in life. An environment, think about it, that you did nothing to create but inherited. And when you know that you came into this world without anything, poor, 
but that by grace you were given all these blessings in one of the greatest American states and countries in the world, then hopefully you will be propelled, compelled to understand why we must be all in for God. For all that we have is from God. We are weak and vulnerable without God's grace in our lives. But just not materially, we also are flawed spiritually. Too often we act in ways that show we are sinful, we are self-centered, we are selfish. And if we look at corporations or governments, it's a battle to keep things moral and altruistic. Without God to teach us how to love and live, to give us supernatural love, to love the unlovable, we are lost. But the question is, when we realize that God blesses us in our poverty of spirit or in wealth, what are we going to do with all those blessings? The theme throughout all of Scripture is this, that we are blessed to be a blessing to others. And now you often hear the phrase that politicians are public servants. But in reality, we should all be public servants. Whether you're in law or you're in business or in um, education, we are all public servants, blessed to be a blessing. We should always be generous as a widow in this story. And we can be generous because God has been so generous with us. Now, to affirm you all, you have already been incredibly generous in so many ways. We are one of the top church blood donors in the state. We are traditionally the top giver in the state every year in the Give Aloha campaign through Foodland. We just raised all of the $547,000 needed to build our new satellite campus in Kaka'ako, plus an additional $40,000, which I'm sure we can use as things often change in, in construction. We have supported more than 1,200 children in poverty through Compassion International. We have two teams in Cambodia right now, or maybe one had just come back, who have paid their own way to combat evil by helping children rescued from sex trafficking and to encourage the staff that ministers to them. We have served and helped hundreds of people through grief share and divorce care support groups. We have built five houses from the ground up for the houseless. We furnished a Ronald McDonald lobby at Kapiolani Hospital. Well done, First Press. But it's when we feel that poverty of spirit that we need to know that God is in our corner. Jesus said he is all for us when we hit those seasons of suffering. But now comes the second thing we learn from our passage. Number two, we need to have Jesus in the core of our lives. The challenge of this story of the widow is that when it comes to generosity... When it comes to being all in for Jesus, it means that we allow Jesus to enter into our core. Some people give money out of what is called uh, the margin. If I could have the next uh, slide. Thanks. Um, so, so there's the margin, and we give money out of the margin, which is that part of us when we give, we may not feel much of a sacrifice the core, the center part, is the part that if we touch that, it would be a real sacrifice of our essence. So example, if Bill Gates, you know, one of the richest men in the world, gives, uh, gave $1 million a year, capped it at a million, is not really sacrificing or touching his core. He's a billionaire. A million means nothing to him. 
But the widow gave out of her core. It was a real sacrifice that could affect her present and future. Here's how Tim Keller describes the widow in this story. Quote, She put in everything. She put in her whole life. She gave her life away. And what is Jesus saying? I know what he's saying. When the rich give, in fact, let's be honest, when we give, we always give out of our margin. In other words, we only give money because when the gift is done, are we eating any less than before the gift? Are we dressing any worse after we've made a gift? Oh, we don't give that much. We don't give out of our margin. Are we traveling any less? Oh, no, we don't give so much as to actually cut into our lives. We just give money, but she didn't. Jesus said when this woman put in her last discretionary cash, what she was doing is she was taking food out of her own mouth. Or more than that, she was giving up what little control she had of her life. See, when the rest of us give, says Keller, we only give what we can afford to give without losing any control over anything. We do everything we wanted to do before, but when she gave, she just didn't give her money. She gave her life because she lost control. The words of Tim Keller. Is it possible that we, you and I, are not allowing our core to be touched by Jesus? Are we wanting control of our lives? Be the Lord of our lives. What's our might? What is the might that we may be holding on and not wanting to give to Jesus? Is it our pride? Is it our career? Maybe it's anxiety. We like to hold on to anxiety of the future. Or maybe it's the need to forgive someone. I'm not going to forgive that guy. Or maybe need to receive forgiveness from a person or from God. Or control because we think we know better how to run our lives than by God's principles in the Bible or by the Holy Spirit. Can we admit that we need spiritual help and we can't do life on our own power and that we need God? You know, there should be no shame in admitting that we need help. We all need equipping and training to be more spiritually rehabilitated. All of us, no exception. Now, I try to go to an exercise place two to three times a week. And everyone there is for physical therapy physical rehabilitation. They admit, they, they admit by signing up and by giving money and carving out time that they need help to make weaker bodies stronger. And it's very cross-generational. There are teenagers there and young adults and older uh, adults. And there's soccer players and volleyball players and skiers, even some who are into archery are there. And people are actively lifting weights and they're stretching and they're lunging and they're running on treadmills and leaning on walls and lifting balls or lying on balls to get kinks out of their muscles. There is no tussle to do what needs to be done. There is no strolling as they are foam rolling, watching that fat molting to get going and some seem like rowing as they're stretching to fetching some strength to put more length in their movements in their backs so that there may not be more attacks from the sprains and pains or the arthritis that bites us and fights us. Exercise is not a bad rap. And to help you, they got trainers. They got nutrition experts with degrees. 
a multitude of degrees and credentials I've never even heard of. I mean, they got MS, ATC, CCSC, CISSN. I mean, going to the exercise therapy for me is actually a metaphor for a healthy church, similar to what we do here. Now, look at our staff. They have more degrees in what we know to do with to help you. They have degrees in ministry and communication, tourism and hospitality, philosophy, counseling, law, social work, engineering, education, and the two most helpful degrees, filmmaking (laughs) and biochemical pharmacology. You can figure out who in the staff has that. This is not a place where the staff are physical therapists, but they're trained spiritual therapists to help you spiritually. And church should be a place where everyone admits they have a weakness that needs strengthening. It's a place where people admit they are not perfect and need help to improve in exercising their faith, strengthening their walk with Jesus. doesn't matter if you're a child, a teenager, or a senior. In that sense, this place should reek of humility. A humility that says, I need help. I am weak. I need to get stronger. That's church. Are we training people towards our church's uh, vision and mission statement? Yes, to love God, love people, reach the world for Jesus Christ, and to help people find their destiny in Christ. Do that. Make that the core of your life and not just the margin. And you, says Jesus, you're going to lead an abundant, fulfilled life. Your admission card is to say, I need help. I'm trying to give up control. I remember a friend of mine who said, I can't go to church. Lightning would hit me. I am such a sinner. I'm not like all those good people who are there. I told him that if you think you're a sinner... That is your admission card that qualifies you to come to church. Church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And if you have fallen to temptation, if you have blown it morally, if you are insecure, worried, full anxiety, need help, more faith and hope, that's who we are. Authentically broken, confused at times, poor in spirit, hungry for love, feeling like a stranger in our own land. Blown it morally, welcome to the party. That's church. When you know that Mary Magdalene in the Bible was a woman who had to struggle with seven demons inside of her but got to be in the inner circle of Jesus and was the first person chosen by God to see the resurrected Christ and the first one to preach he is risen, you know church is an exciting place to be. If you're waiting for some day when factually all your questions about God and Jesus will be answered, hear this, then you will, then you will, and then you think you will follow him. No, that day will never come when you have a tight, foolproof case to follow Jesus. The way to know Jesus is to just say, I need help and I'm here to spiritually exercise. I need spiritual therapy because the the ACL of my soul is torn. I need Jesus because the truth is I will never have the wisdom or the strength or the morality to make it in this world without a higher power. And that higher power has a name, and it's Jesus. 
You know, as an aside, as you heard in the earlier announcements, in a month on um, February 9 is our new members class, which we call Seekers and Joiners. Seekers meaning if you're seeking to learn about the church or about God, um, come. Uh, no obligation to join. Or you want to be a, you do want to join the church. You're a joiner, Seekers and Joiners. So may I suggest for some of you, a first step of going all in for Jesus is to um, consider being committed to a community and consider joining a church. So what's the benefit of joining a church in a society that tends to run from joining? It's because um, making a promise to be part of a community is the start of learning what it means to be all in, to be humble, and that it's not all about you. By making covenant, we learn what it means to be a partner to say, I have your back, will you have mine? Not exactly like a marriage, but like it, it we are making a promise to say in sickness and in health and wanton and plenty and sorrow and in joy, I will stand by you. And together, yes, together, we will learn what it means to go all in for Christ and to feel his presence and learn how to talk to him, trust him, and hear his voice. It's in the Saturday New Members new, uh, class that we hear the vision of the church, my pastoral heart of where we would like to go, why we do things, when we do things, and it's like an all-access pass that takes you behind stage, or it's like a pass that lets, gets you behind Disneyland or the Monterey Bay Aquarium to see how it all works. It's also time where we see that rather than just being consumers, we formally um, want to become a community to that gives and receives. Now, when I say, what do I get out of this? You know, what do you receive when you're a member? And you may say, oh, do I get a discount on, on golfing here? Um, actually, I just found that out last week. That's true. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Pretty cool. But I don't play golf. Um, and I know things like when you are a member, um, and if there's a, you need a funeral, um, there's no charge here for the facility like all the other... Uh, customers of Kohal Barum. So there are those things we receive, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the blessings received as being part of a committed community that is a team committed to help each other and this community as we seek God together. Better done as a team and not as a lone ranger. So what is your might, the title of the sermon, that you need to give over to Jesus to say, okay, I'm all in. Um, our money, our time, our talents that we would rather use for our own career, family, school, work, for our hobbies. We will never have the all-in faith of the widow unless we decide to trust Jesus. Now, I know contemporary society normally looks down on such faith. They think that's impractical, it's blind faith, but it's really all about control, that we want to control our lives. And again, I like what author Tim Keller says about this, and I quote him again. He says, The secular person says, I will decide what is right or wrong for me. Nobody can tell me what the truth is. I determine my own truth. And then the religious person says, Oh, I'm going to obey God's rules so that he will take me to heaven and bless me. And the religious person thinks that's different. 
But it's not different because Keller says because neither of them is trusting. Neither of them is really giving up any control at all. The religious person is trying to control God through morality saying, you can't let anything happen to me because I'm a good person who's followed the rules. And the secular person is trying to control his or her life by saying, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Basically, says Keller, they're scared. He says they're chicken. They're spiritual chickens. They're cowards. They're both cowards. They don't have what this widow had, which was spiritual bravery and therefore love. The spiritual bravery of a widow. Now, I end this message wanting to tell of a real widow in our church. Uh, That was Alice Yoder. Alice, for decades, was our clerk of session, meaning uh, the recorder of the minutes of our board of elders. And she was in her 90s when she passed away last year. She was one of the most faithful people I know. And years ago, when her husband Paul died, she was so sad, as you can imagine. They did everything together. She felt so alone. And they had been married nearly 58 years. And the grieving was great, as you can imagine. And no immediate family lived here, though many of you were close friends with her and supported her. But one day she said to me, with great joy, I'm going to be okay, Dan. I found this Bible verse. I won't be alone. And she read it from a book in the Bible called Isaiah in the 54th chapter. And she said this, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. She said, Dan, it says God is my husband. God will take care of me now. This is also a good word for you divorcees and as other widows, widowers. Our maturity of faith is in direct proportion to our realizing we need God. In her weakness, Alice trusted God with all of her heart and soul and mind, which is what we were told in last week's passage is the mark of spiritual maturity. Can we love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind? We won't if we think everything we do in this life is by our own skills and gifts. A faith in God means we admit we can't do it on our own power. I admire Alice Yoder greatly. And uh, many of us admire her, admired her and grieve greatly when she died last year. Up until recently, this 94-year-old Alice would go to Kenya every year raising money to have a well dug or get more med- modern medical equipment for a hospital there. She, at years ago, would ride roller coasters. She would go on mainland trips with the leaders of the church. And we can say, you know, I can't be like Alice. She seems like superhuman. But Alice was human like the rest of us had the same worries and anxieties that all of us have, but she did a lot of small things in faith. And in essence, get this, the widow in her Bible story might not have thought she did a big thing. She did a small thing in her mind. Here are two copper coins, but she did it in faith. And Alice would do seemingly small things in faith. And you saw her around. She would make crafts for the bazaar. She would make mango chutney. Uh, She volunteered at the reception desk in in her 90s once a week. Many years ago, she did vacation Bible school at the church when we didn't have enough volunteers. 
at Wacko. Remember, she would serve pizza and peanut butter sandwiches at Wacko. Every year at the hymn conference, she sat at a table during all three days making sure the hosts and hostesses got their packets for the seminars. She would show up every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. in my office to pray for whoever was preaching that that person would be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered. So you may think, so what's the point of the, this widow's might? I mean, most of the time we think, oh, the point is you've got to give piles of money, I guess. Um, if you want to do that, please do. Um, but, <laughs> but we have a... You know, the 2019 state of the church address is really saying one thing. The moral of the story is to have a heart for God and receive God's heart and to do good works of faith. And that though they may seem small to you, they can be huge in God's eyes for God looks at the world differently. The widow in our Bible story did what she may have thought was a small thing, right? Just two copper coins compared to everybody else pouring in bags of coins. But Jesus said it was no small thing. Think about this. Have you ever done a small thing only to learn later it was a big thing? Last week, I actually got a letter from Alice Yoder's daughter. And inside were many letters that I had written to Alice. I would write her a letter every year just to affirm her, a simple letter or card. And to my surprise, she kept all of them. Her daughters found them after she died and returned them to me last week, saying, Alice kept a file of letters that meant a lot to her, and many were from you. I had no idea of the impact of a small thing in my mind, a letter, a card once a year to the clerk of the board. You know, sometimes we think, maybe if I give a lot to God, he will love me more. But in that sense, you see, we set up a transactional relationship with God. If I work hard, if I give more, then I will receive his love. But that is missing the point of this story. God has already given his heart to you. And even if you never, ever give him anything in in return, he would still immensely love you. Your purpose on earth is not to earn his love or earn your worth, but is that you are already of great worth as you are incredibly valuable and God loves you with all of his heart already. And when you know that, maybe... You will give all of the mites in your life. Give up all of your control to God who loves you. You think the things of this world are important, the the currency, the material things are important. They actually melt into the background in the face of God's amazing, crazy love. The widow gave away all her coins because she knew She already had everything. God doesn't need your money. He could instantly multiply the wealth of this world with a snap of his fingers. He doesn't want your money. More than anything, he wants the core of your life, your heart. One of the last things Alice said to me before she died was after we had said we love each other, 
I asked her if there's any last words for the church to know from her. Any last words for you? And she said just two words. Trust God. For as you trust God more, you give him your heart. We can only trust God when we know these things, that the widow in her story intuited that in following Jesus, he is the one that was not only in her corner, but that he would give his life for us. That that is what he did for her and for us. Now, as the worship leaders come up, let me say these last words. Just as the widow put everything in for Jesus, know today that Jesus put in everything for us. For it was Jesus who gave his life for us. He literally sacrificed his life through a horrible, painful death so that we would not have the pain of being separated from God. His one life was clearly worth more than two pennies. I mean, his life was the most precious life in the universe for he was the son of God. But he gave it all up for us. He was tortured and beaten and crucified because he loved us. He stands in our corner. And today he calls us to stand with him in his corner. And now just before the benediction, the final blessing, I want to say that one of the first steps in giving up control, one of the first steps in wanting help is to ask for prayer. And know our prayer team will be in front of the cross and in front of the choir risers here. And if you have any issue, spiritual or physical or emotional, and want prayer for, please take advantage of this. And they will pray for God's leading and maybe a miraculous healing of some kind, physically or inner-wise. But for all of you, I have a blessing. So please receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and its countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love, this amazing, incredible love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And out of that, may you always have a heart that worships. In Christ's name, amen. When we consider the story of the widow who gave her two mites, we learn that God doesn't look at how much we're giving. He looks at the heart that's doing the giving. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prayers website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prayers on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prayers app. Watch First Prez Sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.